Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. Okay, hi everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of Tiger Pops. And today with me, I have Veronica and Sarah, and I will let them introduce themselves. Sarah, if you want to go first. Uh, I, absolutely, I suppose. So, <laughs> hey, this is uh, Sarah McIntosh. It's be, actually, I'm having a very hard time talking about myself in third person. Um, if you follow the uh, Midnight Poppyland Facebook groups, whether it be the regular or the fast pass i'm usually the one who does a toast right whenever the episodes don't launch on time like i'm that guy <laughs> yeah. i am familiar with those toasts they started out as something fun but then unfortunately i, I cursed us all because i didn't realize that this was a greek tragedy and i was upsetting the cosmos so i'll have to figure mm-hmm. out some other way in which i can usher in the friday night you know hey this is happening sort of thing mm-hmm. um, I don't really know what else I should say about myself. I am a a crazy lady who is um, a Leo. I'm an INTJ. Um, I'm awkward. Uh, I'm a college professor of English, which doesn't make it any better. And um, I have a little boy and I am married. That sounds horrible. I don't know what I'm doing. No, I you think that sounds great. <laughs> You're letting people know exactly who you are. <laughs> yep. that's all I got sorry okay hi everyone I am Veronica I'm based in Washington DC I'm 34 I have a partner and two fur babies that we rescued Um, they're both pit bull mixes and currently in exile from my bedroom and Mm -hmm. um, yeah I own a bridal shop in Falls Church Virginia it's called Roslyn's Bridal you know people can look that up if they feel like it so I'm around romantic people and love interests and love stories all the time. It's kind of fun. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe you can help. We you know when Tora and Poppy get to their wedding, we can, you can put up a lot of inspos. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I think so. Everyone should know me from the fast pass if they're on that. I'm Veronica Ramos. And I'm the one that's always putting up like different versions of Tora's and Poppy's and Quincy's that I find. So. <laughs> Yeah, your version of Tora was um, the one the, I, the one I liked the best, the one that made more sense to me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot because, his name, but because he's hot and he makes sense. Well, they're all gorgeous, but I mean, he was also broad-shouldered and built, and like the hair and the face was like more tough rather than more like some of the other ones that have like cute baby faces. So yeah, I don't like yeah. baby faces. I mean, they're yeah, fine. But they're I don't really feel the the K-pop guys as being a good fit for Torah. So I have to say, I really appreciated the a little bit more rugged approach that you brought to the discussion. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, so speaking of rugged, this episode starts out with a lot of roughhousing, let's just say. So episode 12, mm-hmm. um, we have Quincy, who has just, you know, Torah has his hand on Mr. Morrison's neck, and suddenly there's a clap and we discovered that it's Quincy who is sitting there all calm, all composed, a bottle of wine with a wine glass there, you know, his hand, his footer, his feet are crossed. He's looking like the picture of composure. 
And Mr. Morrison doesn't get why he's there. He's like, Quincy, is that you? What the hell are you doing in my building? He just proceeds to insult him. I told you not to call back. Don't come back here. Our working relationship ends today, and that's final. And Quincy, Quincy reacts in this very, you know, he doesn't, Mr. Morrison has just like insulted him and, you know, verbally abused him in front of everybody. But Quincy is putting on this cool and collected front and basically tells him that he's in control of the situation. I find it funny that you're asking him what he wants. And Mr. Morrison is like, what the hell are you talking about? And well, I'll let you guys, I don't want to be the one, you know, doing everything. So I'll let one of you guys continue with this uh, summary. What I really love about how Lily has introduced Quincy is that she's pretty much just showing him as this alpha that is, so that's, that's your first impression of him. He's this cool, calm, collected alpha that has this very um, captivating demeanor about him. And that's, that's how she sets him up when you first meet him. And I think that's that's really great because then when you go through the actual series, you kind of figure out that he's nothing more than a sin mineral. <laughs> and so I love I love how how he first comes across. I think one of the things that really interested me within this particular episode is like so if you look at the panel where it's sorry to interrupt your fun, Mr. Morrison, he is literally blending into the back. He is completely Mm -hmm. blending in to where none of the other stuff matters. You have lines, you have all this visual rhetoric stuff that's happening within the the panel itself. It's supposed to direct the eye dead center. And here's this person who looks just as cute as cute could be, like Kirby, you know, like just fluffy. You just want to love them. Um, But then you realize like the juxtaposition of that, where it's we're witnessing violence happening on this person's order. It, It. to me, I, I really appreciated that she made it to where none of the other stuff matters. You know what I mean? Like he blends in and that's dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. He's a chameleon. Can we just talk about how he has like a, a bottle of wine and like this alpha guy instead of him having a rye or some like dark scotch. Here he is with <laughs> wine. You know what I mean? That's like, true. That juxtaposition is just great. Like it's classic Quincy um, and it, it's doing some things, I think, within this episode where it's not quite fitting in with your expectation of him. Like he's throwing these little flavor tidbits at you to help indicate like I'm not what you think I am. Um, I'm a little bit more. I'm a little bit extra would be a good explanation for Quincy. He's the most extra, which makes him fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of his extraness, right, in, when Mr. Morrison says, what the hell are you talking about? He doesn't answer right away. He takes a sip of his wine. And again, that's to show he's in control. He is calm and he puts on a smile. Right. Just mm-hmm. his looking sober, looking completely compo- composed. And he tells him, you know, that man doesn't want anything. And at the same time, Tora is lighting a cigarette just to show, again, how nonchalant they all are. They pretend they don't care about Mr. Morrison's feelings and the violence of what's going on. They're just enjoying themselves. And he tells him that Tora is carrying out his orders, to which Mr. Morrison responds with a ba-dump and sweat marks. He's like, and, what the fuck you mean, my orders, your orders? What what orders? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely screaming like big dick energy. You know what I mean? Like everyone in this room is just radiating it. And, and it's delightful to consume and it's delightful to witness, um, especially whenever you just kind of have this 
overly muscular guy manhandling someone, but then you realize he's not the one you're supposed to be paying attention to in the first place. It's the dude sitting in a chair drinking wine. You know what I mean? Like that, that contrast there I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. And Tori here is smoking and <clears throat> I'm wondering if he did that besides for him being intimidating, Mr. Morrison is also coughing. So it's making him exceedingly uncomfortable. And I'm assuming yeah. smoking is not allowed indoors wherever in that office. No, probably not. It's just showing how how Torah just really doesn't give any fucks about authority and rules and laws and customs. He's just like, my objective right now is to cause you pain and to make you scared. And that's all I'm going to do. And anything else doesn't matter. Well, plus he's also got his hand on dude's throat, right? Like Mr. Morrison's throat. So already his airway is being inhibited, right? So mm-hmm. he's physically preventing him by his actions to like get catch his breath, which works on many levels metaphorically. But then you add like smoke and it's coughing. So it's like, not only am I going to physically hinder you with my hand, but I'm going to smoke at the same time, creating an environment where you can't catch a breath even if you try. You may think Mm -hmm. that I'm just sitting here holding you very passively, but at the same time, I'm holding you aggressively with both my hand and my smoking. Um, And that's how little I regard you. I don't care for your comfort here. It's not about you. Uh, And uh, then, of course, you also have how smoking is like a masculine symbol. It's very phallic. It represents, you know, like warrior, the cowboy, the Marlboro man, you know, and of course, the person who's doing the manhandling has to be like Uberman, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, speaking of Torah showing that he doesn't care about Mr. Morrison, Mr. Morrison, it doesn't really care about Torah. And I'm not saying that he should care about him like he's his father, but he does not have any concept of like treating people with respect, especially people who have their hands on his neck, because the way he talks about Torah, he says, you're saying that punk works for you. He's some street thug you hired to get back at me. And we, sh- we saw this already last episode. Mr. Morrison does not have social skills and he treats his underlings like they're dirt. And mm-hmm. I mean, you can see that that's... And he just doesn't hear even to the guy who, you know, he has his life in his hands and he just can't get himself to treat people respectfully, even to save his life, literally. No, he can't. He's arrogant and thinks he's untouchable for some odd reason when someone is very clearly touching him. (laughs) Well, I think it's that like false sense of authority and power that comes with being in a position of power, like with the business. Mm -hmm. So the contrast, I think, So you've got this guy who's a CEO. So he thinks that his shit doesn't stink. He is the epitome of all that is success. Um, He, I mean, his actions alone, like resonate that idea that I can do whatever I want. I'm untouchable. You can't do anything to stop me. And then the irony is some guy who he doesn't even consider, you know, like a guy um, who he would ignore on the street is actually in all sorts of control. And he's misjudged Quincy significantly to where that CEO, CEO power persona is the equivalent to nothing in real life. You know what I mean? Like, so it's this like delusion that Morrison is having and here he is getting manhandled by some guy that he dismisses. But the irony is like the dismissive, the dismissed dude can do him serious harm. Just like Quincy can actually do him serious harm, you know, which we see later in this particular episode, like the ramifications of that, like misjudging becomes a serious problem. Yeah. 
Right. And then, you know, we have also here what a constant theme is that Torah feels about himself is that everybody looks at him like a street dog and that's all he is. And, you know, here, here again, he's being judged as that. I mean, it is what he's doing, right? But this is something that Torah does not like being looked at. So now we go on. It's very interesting. Torah and Quincy clearly have this good rapport because the next panels show them communicating just with their eyes. They don't, they don't speak. Torah looks at Quincy. Quincy looks at Torah, snaps his fingers, and Torah, you know, understands what he means, and he lets him go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's something about Torah's face in that panel immediately after the snap that bothered me the first time that I read this, and then every subsequent time because the art looks different. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, still got that smoky demeanor, um, but there is something that's going on with the art in general. Where Torah, for me, the first time I saw this, I was like, "He, there's something wrong here." You know, like it's so I didn't know how to take the snap because on face value, it seemed as if like, oh, OK, cool. He's just treating him like a dog. Torah loves that. He loves it when people treat him like he's just some dog on a leash. Right. So he, he looks like pissed. Right. And that thing in that panel. Sorry. Um, but then I started thinking like, no, I think that's a continuation of like where he's at mentally that that's more of a disassociative. It's very cold. It's got almost no emotion to it whatsoever. It's like a serial killer-esque cold affect face. And I think that's why it disturbed me so much. Because I was like, oh, he's very emotive most of the time. You know, even if it's a slight little, like, eyebrow raise. You know, like, he's doing something here. It's cold, calm, killer. And it was, even the art, like, the, the tone of it really made it to where it was like, oh, this is disturbing to look at, you know? Yeah. So that's interesting because with the the snap. So I also like I saw it two ways. I the 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 dog part only occurred to me later, and in that sense, yeah, I guess I could see his face being you know upset at that. I I first saw it as just something that they had arranged prearranged before. You know, we're putting on this show. We're we're gonna intimidate him. We're gonna be tough, and we're Torah. So I just saw Torah's face as just being a continuation of this. You know, yes, he wants to put on a serial killer face. This is what he does successfully in order to intimidate everybody and make them see him as a ruthless, violent, uncaring, heartless person. So I saw that as just a continuation of, um, you know, intimidating Mr. Morrison. But I, I, I see what, you know, it could also be that this, there's something in Torah that doesn't like being snapped at. Well, and it too, like the art uh, presentation of his face changes. It's all been from the angle. It's been a profile, although you're still getting like three fourths of his face. It hasn't been a direct on full shot. This is the first time within this, um episode that you're seeing him face on as if you were um there in the room you know what i mean so he we're seeing quincy's point of view from this particular gaze right and it's that's why for me it caught me off guard i was like oh okay because from the profile ones in the just prior to the snap you know where you were talking about how they're having this um nonverbal communique with their eyes Mm -hmm. you know like the art is different you know, and then you get this full on face shot for the first time in this episode. And it, it was chilling for me and it, for the color and the smoke and all the stuff like it really reinforced like he is. This is lethal. Like he really is that lethal weapon that he was joking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the way he right. just throws Mr. Morrison away like garbage, you know, like he just it, it, yeah, it, it still it gives me goosebumps because I'm like, I do not want to mess with that guy in an alley. Yep, and that's exactly what he what his purpose here is. So now Quincy tells him, he says, 
you know, I rarely speak about this, but have you wondered what the B in Quincy Vinyoko stands for? And Mr. Morrison is just, he does not get the hint. He just yells at him. I don't give a damn what it stands for. Did you send this thug here to get back at me, you little piece of shit? I mean, like, wow, he does not understand. He doesn't have any self-preservation instinct. He cannot stop himself from verbal abuse. Seriously. Well, it is an assumed thing of power, right? I'm sorry, Veronica, go ahead. No, no, I was I was um, pretty much saying, or I was going to say it's, it's the same thing. It's like, it's him thinking his shit doesn't stink. Everyone else is beneath him. So even if he is in a position of being forced lower than everyone else, he will not accept it. His pride and his stubbornness will not accept it. Yeah, he's lacking complete and total situational awareness. And it could be, again, that continuation of the benefits that he's enjoyed. Um, like his whole like employee conversation that happens at the table, even they demonstrate way more situational awareness than oh, Mr. Yeah. Morrison. Which I think it's very telling. Yeah. So I have to admit, I love I love the panel where Torah kind of like the one that comes right after when he said, you little piece of shit of Tora's eyes just slightly crazed. It has a crazed look in it. And you see the crackle, like, you know, he took in the biggest, biggest inhale. And then he just drops the cigarette and, and just puts it out. Like, it's like, fuck you, fuck your carpet, fuck your office, (laughs) like fuck everything you're about to say. And And can we even talk about the carpet for a second? (laughs) Like, so that is the most generic carpet ever. You know what I mean? Like, so for me, when he threw that cigarette down, you can't help but notice it's like a continuation of like this industrialized carpet, this business that it's like cookie cutter, you know, Mm -hmm. but yet here's Mr. Morrison acting exactly how we would expect a CEO to act. Right. And he's even decorated his space, his layer, if you will, to be about as cookie cutter and generic as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And here he is doing exactly what we would anticipate. And here's Tora, like, here's what I think about your carpet, right? And it's so every day. And yet here's Tora, obviously, with the cigarette and this generic ass carpet, demonstrating with his actions, like, this is what I think about you. He could have put it out in his eye. You know, he could have put it out on his table. I mean, he could have put it out any way he wanted, but he's purposely messing up that like representation that layer um, with this one teeny tiny little cigarette and that's going to burn. Like they're going to have to remove the carpet. Um, And it just, for me, it was like, okay, so this is every day, you know, like this is an everyday generic situation and Torah is perfectly comfortable doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. And what I like about Torah's reaction here is that upon hearing Mr. Morrison, you know, this, both him and Quincy, he, you know, does that whole intimidation with the, with the, the cigarette. And then he grabs him by his hair pulls him and you know painfully at to, you know the employees are shocked and mr morrison guests and he puts his ear his mouth close to mr morrison's ear and you can just hear that intimidating he puts his like fingers on his cheek and he says say that to him one more time and i'll make sure it's the last word you live to say got it oh i feel like if you just said it in the lowest huskiest most intimidating voice ever <laughs> Yeah, and Mr. Morrison is screaming and yelling, right? Quincy is talking, you know, so he's just talking. He's using his indoor voice. Mr. Morrison is screaming, yelling. The employees are screaming and yelling. And here's Tora. He's right at dude's ear. He's not screaming. He's not yelling. He doesn't even really cuss, Mm -hmm. right? He just says, say that to him one more time. 
Yeah. Can I also mention? And then I'll have to give you what it needs to come. So can I also mention how? You know what I mean? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Okay, can fine. I also? I can I also mention how it wasn't that like Torah even cared about what he was called. He cared about what Morrison called Quincy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. what was like what really stuck out is more like he didn't give a fuck that he was called a thug and he wasn't he, that's not what he was reacting to he was reacting to him calling Quincy a little piece of shit and so he's yeah. like that's what triggered him yeah, yeah I agree I think Morrison it's nice what you, Tora, yeah if if Morrison had just called Torah a, a thug but didn't insult Quincy, I don't think the uh, the reaction would have been the same. I agree because I don't think Torah like you know not to play on puns, but Torah doesn't really have a dog in this fight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like he's not. He's not there. Like, so my first read of this is different than my subsequent reads, but that whole issue where he's focusing on, um, I don't know, like avenging Quincy's honor, perhaps, um, for me, was really telling as far as where he's at, because we know that he's introspective and he doesn't really hold himself in a high regard. Um, But it seems like the people that he is associated with, the people who are in his sphere that he he's I've called him like a mother friend, you know, that he will like go batshit crazy uh, and protect his flock, if you will. Um, And I think that was really telling that he knew an appropriate time. Um, to go after to protect Quincy because Quincy is hurting and that also gives us an indication for what happens later with Quincy within the series from this um, not this episode but the next one Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah he definitely seems protective and loyal he's definitely very loyal and for that for me it was really important because it's not just like a, a dog doing what a dog does you know what I mean? Like we get that representation later, but it's more like I could have just done something else. Um, I mean, I could have just punched him really hard in the face, but instead it's more like I need to clearly articulate that this guy has significantly messed up um, and I need to make the threat very clear um, without using it. The only thing that he uses that's colloquial, you know, is the, the, yeah, you know, that he normally does. Right. There's no, there's no slang. There's no, um, any like weird indication of like cussing or anything like that. It's clear. It's nothing to misconstrue. There's no subtext there. Like it's pretty dangerous, I think, which is why I really focused on that panel before, because I think it helps us get a better appreciation of how calm, cool, collected he is that his only response is to make sure that Quincy is protected at all costs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, threat of Torah's finally gets to Mr. Morrison's thick skull. And he finally says, you know, he, he bedumps and he says, got it and and he says don't hurt me and he finally you know modulates his expression and stops insulting them he says look Quincy I'm sorry for calling you get but I mean then a second later just get the psycho off me (laughs) oh dear Mr. Morrison and And you see Quincy moving forward with his with his fancy shoes and he finally here he says I'll give you the profit I made from your stupid manuscripts Hi, Mr. Morrison. Even when you try, you just can't do it. <laughs> that was like the manuscript. weirdest modifier to choose there. Like, I'll give you the profit from all of your stupid manuscripts, but yet I'm sitting here trying to kiss your ass at the same time to get the psycho off me. I just called you a piece of shit, and now I'm calling all of your life's work stupid. Like, this dude, I'm telling you, man, situational awareness. 
lacking. Yeah. Yeah, and then Quincy, you know, go, goes into his, um, well, he uses a, a word that we, we know later is just one of his favorite words, but he's he's reacting again in this calm way. You can call me whatever you want, honey. I couldn't care less. He's showing emotional restraint, right? And, <laughs> you know, threatening him again. I can't guarantee my underling here won't get mad. And Tori gives him this uh, this really brutal expression. And he calls him feral, which, you know, I think Tori probably is used to being seen that way from Vincent and you know we'll find out later why you know that Quincy is doesn't necessarily actually mean it but he's using this as you know to, to intimidate Mr. Morrison again it, but it's just sad you know this is this is how Tora is used in the clan as this wild beast that just beats the people up mm-hmm. I appreciated the the hesitation there too from Quincy he's a bit feral you see like it almost made me feel as if Quincy was being very selective with the word that he chose like perhaps maybe the you know, that's how Torah sees himself. So maybe he's playing into something that's safe. It was a really interesting word choice for me. And the way that it's hesitant, like it's hesitant with the ellipsis before that made me think that it, it's not so much about the subtext or the optics with Mr. Morrison, but maybe trying to help reinforce something to Torah because Torah is looking away from Mr. Morrison in that panel. He's looking off to the side. It seems as if he's like somewhere else mentally, you know, that this is just a muscle memory. Mm-hmm. That perhaps again he's still dissociative so that idea of calling him feral almost felt for me as if like Quincy was kind of throwing a rope out there to let Tora know that he wasn't really seeing him that way maybe he was using language that Tora discusses about himself I don't know it was really interesting for me yeah well I think I mean right now we don't fully you know for anyone that didn't like read the series before like the original one, people don't really know the dynamic between Tora and Quincy yet. Like the audience has no idea. And um, so I find it, so I find it interesting because it's also Quincy setting up, like when he also goes down and he says, Tora down boy, like he's, he's setting it up to just show like, doesn't matter what our dynamic is there's a certain power that I hold over him. I hold over Torah, but you just don't know what it is. Right. Yeah. This episode for me was really problematic because it made me not like Quincy. I'm just going to say that out there. Like the first time I was familiar with some of the 1.0, the MPL 1.0, but I I didn't get to catch it while it was active. So I've only been able to see snippets, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's not necessarily giving me a good indication of like what that story was. Um, so when yeah. I saw Quincy, where it's like Tora down boy, and then that very next panel, again, you notice that Tora is completely looking away. He's not part of the situation with his eyes, which is interesting from a survival standpoint, because where do you generally want to look wherever a threat may come? And he's making it with his body language that he's non-verbally communicating that he's not part of this fight. That there's nothing that he's um, concerned about as far as his safety. But then we see that face where he looks disconnected. It kind of reminded me of um, him at the grocery store in a much later episode where he's just kind of in his head, mm-hmm. you know, and he's thinking of things. Um, and, and then the way he just lets him go, you know, it just made me feel like he wasn't there, that this was his body just doing while his mind was somewhere else. Probably thinking about like strawberry juice or something. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so- Actually, um, I, or I the girl was, that he just left, right? Probably thinking back to you know her being all cute in that cute little skirt. Mm-hmm. So I do, um, 
I, I agree that he probably definitely is disassociated because he, you know, this is just like something he has to do to survive. But I do think that he is looking at um, Mr. Morrison like intimidatingly, but um, I can see what you're saying where you think, but I don't, I do think his eyes are looking at him. But anyway, so Quincy, you know, Quincy talks about him like he isn't in the room, right? Which is typical, right? He's trying to show I'm the boss and I treat him. He's just, you know, like my machine. I'm not treating him like a human being. He, he just talks about him as though he isn't even there, right? He has a hell of a temper, if you haven't noticed. I suggest you watch what you're saying to me. Mm-hmm. And he smiles. There's this panel where, you know, you go back and you see Tora, Tora's, you know, large, bulky physique standing there intimidatingly and Quincy just staring at Mr. Morrison in the eye with a smile. Yeah, and then for some reason, yeah. Mr. Morrison's like, let me give you this side eye. Because he's like... <laughs> Well, for once he's showing because Taurus kind of at his back now, right? Like, so Mr. Morrison kind of like shimmied his body to be more like aligned with Quincy, you know, while Quincy's like chilling out, chillaxing on the table, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just lounging out. Um, just, you know, we're just having a chat, nothing to freak out about. There's no one in here that can hurt you. Um, just kidding. There's this huge like monster of a man behind you who's just not blinking and staring you down. Um, if your head could explode, it probably would have mm-hmm. by now. And the way he just kind of like peeks over his shoulder is like, is the boogeyman there? Like, is there someone behind me? What's happening? Um, which just kind of made me laugh. Yeah. Especially since he stands up. And then if you look at Mr. Morrison's like body language between the two, who seems the most irate and angry? Which one of these people is actually supposed to be angry? Um, because if you just base it on the body language, like Quincy is looks as if he's the CEO. You know, like he's not the wrong party. And the irony is he is um, like his body, like he's leaning into Mr. Morrison. Mr. Morrison instead is trying to do like a stance of power. He's got his hands on his hip and he seems very confrontational. Meanwhile, we know that there's Tora in the background who's ready to drop kick an asshole if need be. Mm-hmm. Right. And finally, Mr. Morrison, you know, seems he's gotten a little bit of like you said, situational awareness. And he says, okay, let's talk things out nicely. You're very talented. Wouldn't need your services here. So even if you're here to beg me, which, you know, that's again, going back to like, not really successful tactics. Quincy, you know, takes offense. Quincy's like, beg, like, excuse me, the fuck did you just say? Like, what? Um, That was by far my favorite Mm -hmm. thing. (laughs) And Mr. Morrison is confused. And he says, he's thinking in his head, he's not asking me to get him back into the company. And then again, he gets this enraged expression on his face. You know, his veins are popping now. He says, Quincy and Yoko. And then he thinks like, is he here to disgrace me in front of all my employees? So this is, you know, this is what he, again, he's more thinking about his honor and or lost honor rather than his threat to his life because he's very egotistical. And apparently that matters to him more than his life. Yeah. And then he just again bursts out, you little shit. And he starts he just he just doesn't have any common sense he just starts you know with his finger hands extended to attack him yeah and quincy then, just <laughs> dead panning like okay <laughs> like you can go ahead and try yeah yeah it, it's really kind of chilling that quincy has like no response whatsoever you know like just dude you've messed up now you have no idea you know what i mean like quincy's just got that look like oh it was it was looking really good for you, Mr. Morrison, <laughs> but then you yeah. happened. Like, whoop. It's almost like, a, oh, you look cute trying to attack me. And then, but for some odd reason, when, when Mr. Morrison gets kicked in the back, he's like, what the? As if that's, like, the, 
Wait, why is he so confused by that? <laughs> why was that? Why did that catch him off guard? Like he should have known. Like, duh, of course he was going to get kicked by the monster that's behind him. <laughs> like, this is- yeah, like the boogeyman is real. You should have been worried about it the entire time. Again, that situational awareness, that disconnect, right? It doesn't make sense. Yep. Yeah, this guy doesn't make any sense. Sometimes I'm wondering, like, how did he become a CEO? <laughs> listen you're asking a good question like that's a really like important thing to consider is like how did torah get to where he is right um he actually had to like demonstrate situational awareness and survive do people within the business sector particularly at a ceo level do they necessarily understand the hustle and bustle the struggle that is you know working yourself up from a company i don't know like i'm not necessarily um talking smack about ceos but usually it's someone you know who's kind of already been in that realm for a long time you don't see a whole lot of people who work up from like grunt to ceo of a company that's why we appreciate the story so much you know and it kind of demonstrates the egotism that is mr morrison the fact that he wants to plagiarize the fact that he wants to steal the fact that he wants to treat his employees the way he does like these are all earmarks of someone who kind of seems as if they were just graced with that business opportunity to become a CEO. Meanwhile, you have two people in the room who are definitely not on board with that. Right. At this point, he's like, he's humbled. He's just on his hands and knees. His face is down. He's coughing again. And, you know, both Quincy and Tora are right, you know, they're closing in on him. So he's looking very helpless. And, you know, Quincy, Tora is looming over him ominously, hands crossed, you know, showing that he can use his physical power again and he's coughing. And then finally he's asking him, you know, he's not looking up and Mr. Morrison asks just who the hell are you? And Quincy, you know, again, look at him with his beautiful green eyes. I thought you'd never ask. And this like intimidates Mr. Morrison. There's a close up panel of him looking you know, with his brows furrowed and he's intimidated and he looks up, looks worried. And Quincy again, all calm and composed says, my pen name is Cuban Yoko. And then, you know, back to, back to Torah, but his birth name is Baltuman. And Mr. Morrison's eyes go wide at this revelation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, the irony is whenever he says that, we know, like, oh, okay, that's probably going to come back and bite you in the butt there, dude. Wow. Yeah. He's in this position of like supplication, like what you would expect a person asking for forgiveness, you know, as if this were like a medieval courtly romance or something where the person gets on their knees and is begging for forgiveness, which ironically is not going to happen until Quincy discloses who the hell he actually is. And then we start seeing the backtracking, which I think is very, very oh, telling. Yeah. Of course, that comes later in a different episode. Yeah. It also gives a pretty right. solid mm-hmm. indicator of like how how well known the Baltimore group or the organization is even within civilian private sectors. Right. Which makes it all the more remarkable that Poppy, I mean, it tells us something about Poppy that she doesn't know them. You know, she's this country girl perhaps, and she's been sheltered and she's young. So it may be in the city, people, more people are aware of the Baltimans, but she, you know, when she sees the, the card or whatever she doesn't even she doesn't know anything about it she's like oh it's such a prestigious organization (laughs) (laughs) yeah just kind of shows poppy and all her just like blissful ignorance that she lives through life sometimes 
that naivete though like Tora, I, I he knows he knows what she's all about you know what i mean and bless him <laughs> he picked her out pretty quick i think whenever he said you know the the in the previous episode about you know this is a card to a lethal weapon and her whole response like i think that was very telling <laughs> just like it's very telling for mr morrison you can see the difference where it's like so not everyone knows who they are but a lot of people do we should w worry more about the people who don't know who tbo is you know what i mean as opposed to like everyone within this town everyone's gonna know who they are um which is surprising um that they wouldn't have known who Tora was i think that gives us an indication that this guy may know who TBO is, but maybe doesn't know all the ins and outs, which could be important for us later. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, well, I'm think. assuming that they do try to keep a low profile. Well, because, you know, we get stuff that happens much, much later, you know, but like he's got this reputation as being like the tiger of Aries Street, but we know how limited that reputation goes within certain circles. Um, so while TBO itself, he would know who Quincy is because um, I think in the next episode, he calls him like master, young master Quincy, you know, mm -hmm. so they recognize the hierarchy, they recognize the structure of the organization. So that's very like well known. Meanwhile, this person who's well known throughout that sector is completely unknown by the people um, who are familiar with who TBO is. And I think that gives us an indication of what Tora is doing successfully um, as far as being able to do whatever it is he's supposed to be doing. And that's all under the radar, out of the public eye. No one knows who he is. Yeah, like in the shadows, if you will, because we get that continuation of him wanting to be in the shadows, not wanting to be in the light, um, and that he's been doing a really good job flying under um, the light, if you will, and staying in the mm -hmm. shadows. Right. And that, that demonstrates, you know, not only his skill, but it also is in a way sad because he's doing all this work and he is not getting recognized for his talent. I mean, he's recognized within the heiristry, right? But not in the legitimate world. He only has honor and acclaim within, within the illegitimate world, which is the world he does not want to be a part of. Yeah. But outside he has dishonor and or anonymity. Yeah. Ignominity, whatever. Yep. So, what um, do you have, guys? Have final thoughts on the episode as a whole, or on Quincy as we see him here, Tora as we see him here? No, I just i I still think it's a really interesting way to be introduced to Quincy and their dynamic, because it's again when you really find out later on in the episodes how they truly are together. It's it's. It's kind of funny how how Lily's like, let me introduce you guys to Quincy in a way that will probably make you not like him that much. But then you'll see that there 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 are multiple levels to him that will surprise you and make you be like all about him. <laughs> so I mean, you just you show it it, it shows that that Quincy is a very multi-dimensional character that shouldn't be overlooked. And it also shows that he's a really important character that shouldn't be overlooked. Mm -hmm. So yeah, right. I, I, have, I have a love-hate way with how he was introduced. But like, I, 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 I get it because people, people like those those 
character arcs where they kind of start off where you don't like them and then you then you see these other little traits where you're like oh but he's he's actually a cinnamon roll like oh wait like he's actually a very supportive friend like oh wait actually he's he's more like the best friend ever (laughs) you know like all these different layers that get slowly introduced but the first the first real one is him just barking out orders and showing intimidation which um which is very interesting to me that that's how lily chose to do it Right. And I think also this episode serves to show us what Torah does on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and what makes him so intimidating, how his lifestyle is so aggressive and violent mm-hmm. and, you know, to give us a clue about what he, who he is. Yeah. And what he has to do. Yeah. Cause just like the day before he was pretty much, he brought two street thugs in and as a result, those two guys died. And then the very next day, even though you know it like wrecked him emotionally, he just is able to just go right back into his day to day and do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Which shows a lot of emotional and mental strength if he's able to just push aside like how he feels about the bad that he does, but will continue to just keep doing the bad yeah i agree i think he also tends to like um sarah was saying dis- disassociate mm-hmm. and uh compartmentalize yeah yeah for sure sarah, one of the things that i was thinking about with sorry guys one of the things that i was thinking about with this episode um because i am one of the people who was like okay well i don't like this kid um what the crap quincy like i could do without you um and i own that okay before everyone starts getting upset mm-hmm. Um, was now that I've had like the opportunity to review, you know, and reread because, you know, obsession or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that I think one of the things that's really, really important is like, if you follow like reader response theory or whatever, um, I am pretty much Mr. Morrison mm-hmm. in this episode, the way that I am evaluating Quincy, like I'm doing exactly what Mr. Morrison is doing, not by pissing off Torah. Like I definitely wouldn't do that. Um, but the way that I'm evaluating this kid who's sitting here or this man who's sitting here in a chair, um, seemingly bland, you know, because the way that the lighting and the art, it seems as if he just kind of blends in. It's not until you get close that you realize he's throwing in little details that makes it to where he stands Mm -hmm. out. You know what I mean? Like with his palm tree shirt underneath his like seemingly business attire, um, that I, I misjudged him. And I'm sure that that's something that happens to him a lot. The irony is it happens to both of the individuals in this panel. Yeah. You know, that you have Torah who's like misjudged all the time. Um, But we get his experiences first. Right. So I think that's another reason why in which I had such a hard time with Quincy is I was already on team Torah, you know, because we are introduced to him Mm -hmm. first. Um, and it took me a while to get used to, like, particularly the episode that follows this is the one where I'm like, well, I'm a jerk. I'm no different than Mr. Morrison because I completely wrote this person off. I can see why Mr. Morrison did what he did. If this is the way that he chooses to present himself, I'm sure that the cinnamon roll was what Mr. Morrison got. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the seemingly passive, like this is easy. This is an easy mark. 
right? This is a person that I can totally take advantage of. Um, he's using a pen name. He's not representing himself um, fully. He has something to hide. All the advantages to me, right? Mr. Morrison, the CEO, mm -hmm. Uber man, um, has got it in his head that he can totally take advantage of that. And I'm no different than Mr. Morrison because I'm like, yeah, okay, I can totally write this character off. It's a nobody. Mm -hmm. um, I now know the error of my ways. Um, but I can see why Quincy enjoys also living in the shadows. Like he likes having that disconnect from his real life um, and his professional life. Does that yeah. make sense? Much to his chagrin, because we see that he like, I think it's in the episode. I think it's in the episode that follows this where he's like so upset, you know, about how this situation played out. You know, that he didn't want to be this Quincy that we see in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, that I feel mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, then that's probably what he represented to Mr. Morrison, right? He was an easy mark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bless him. Right. He says so about himself. But that's why Mr. Morrison treated him the way he did. Yeah, and it, it's really telling because it's such a huge um, divide. Like the the idea that there's this dual character that is Quincy, and now we know those of us who fast pass that it's not he's not dual. He's like many things. He's poly, right? He's a poly person. He's got so many different caveats of his um, character that it's not just like one or two dimensional. He's got many dimensions. There's many caveats. There's many aspects of himself um, that we have to appreciate for the whole container that is Quincy, but also in the individual ways in which they contribute to him. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think Sorry. Um, well, I, we'll see in the next episode, like to me, I don't know if I see this so much as multifaceted, but I see it as something that he's trying out, but it does, it does display, you know, a level of strength and determination that he's able to, to act this way. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he was using the um, the alcohol, if you will, as a mean, like as a <laughs> liquid courage, mm -hmm. you know, like he needed it, not just because it sets pretense and he appreciates the optics, because we have to admit everything that he wore in this episode today was for optics. Mm -hmm. Right. It's supposed to resonate like what he wants us to know about him, the person that's in this room fighting with Mr. Morrison. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean literally fight, but getting into a confrontation, right? Yeah. Just like Tora yeah. purposefully rolls up his sleeves to show just the tidbits of his tattoo whenever he's sitting here fighting um, with Mr. Morrison. Or not fight, but um, manhandling Mr. Morrison. It's to reinforce the stereotype of, oh, here's a street thug. You think I'm going to be a street thug? Here, I'll give you street thug. Yeah. Before I even like really start He's looking street thug, though, with his slacks and button-up shirt and dress shoes. <laughs> I mean, and those are really nice dress shoes. Can we just say that out loud? Both of them are wearing really nice kicks. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, only the best for these gang members <laughs> i mean there's something going on with this gang i've joked many times like what do they do like go raid like a modeling agency and be like we want these people <laughs> because all of them it's like you know even smithy who's a little bit older like they are not shabby looking folk within tbo you know <laughs> well and so really if think anyone watch was it the the netflix series the peaky blinders yeah and it's like yeah of course like bto is pretty much like the peaky blinders fashionable and incredibly good looking and it's like this is not real life earth thugs this or like is this this is i've watched mafia documentaries they are not attractive men so what's going on 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I can understand now the appeal. Like, so we're not supposed to like bad guys, right? Because bad guys always look bad, right? We've seen them looking horrible, you know, in real life. Like, I'm sure somebody's got a kink for Al Capone and what he looked like. I I support their life choices. <laughs> but if I had, like, run across, like, a mafia-esque dude looking like Sharch or Scarch or whatever you want to call him or Claude, like, I can see myself getting sprung. I'm just saying. <laughs> I can see myself making bad choices. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and in general, you know, physical beauty is something that makes us overlook a lot of flaws. Yeah, it's the beautiful. I mean, we get smitten. Mm -hmm. So, guys, I think we need to end this episode. But thank you so, so much for coming on. Thanks, Veronica. Thanks, Sarah. This was fantastic. Thank you so much. It's always so much fun. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, we can definitely come on again. Will do. Looking forward to the next one. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye, ladies. Bye, guys. Bye.